Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're going to take you away from the play. This week, it was honestly so cool to have Anthony Calvillo, Montreal Alouette's legendary quarterback and currently the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach uh, for the Université de Montréal Carabins football team. That was that was unreal, honestly. Yeah, I mean, no shortage of accolades for this gentleman. He won three Grey Cup championships in 2002, 2009, 2010, and he was also inducted into the CFL Hall of Fame in 2017. On top of all of his championship wins, Anthony also established a couple of records as well. Uh, He has a record for most career pass attempts, most career passing yards, most career pass completions, and most career passing uh, touchdowns. So that's just to name a couple. You can go online and find more about him. But um, in this interview, we really talked about his coaching career at the youth sports level, at the CFL level. We also asked about his thoughts on the CFL. And of course, we talked a little bit about his playing career as well. So we hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Anthony, it's so great to have you on our podcast. This is honestly like a real treat. I remember talking to you a couple of years ago. It mm-hmm. feels like forever ago, especially in this pandemic. So welcome. To Thank you podcast. very much. Thank Appreciate you for being it. here. Um, so pleasure. we'll just get, we'll get right into it. And, you know, given the pandemic, um, university football, RSEC football, it's, it's been canceled, um, which is, I think, a real bummer for a lot of people. How have these cancellations kind of impacted your life, especially as a, you know, as a member of the coaching staff? You know, can you work in any capacity, <laughs> either virtually with your players, or has it really halted your ability to coach as well? Well, I think like everybody else, we had to adjust. Um, you know, when everything happened there in March and every, we got into confinement, uh, we had to go online. So we had to secure all our meetings to make sure that, uh, that one, we were still doing stuff to help the players out. But not just football-wise, but we were, we were more concerned about mentally because uh, we knew this was going to be very difficult uh, going from, you know, be able to have interactions with one another to now being at home. And, and, and then that's it, you know, doing your studies from there, which nobody was used to. And then, two, you know, trying to, uh, to keep them busy because, like, as you know, as we're home, we look forward to something else, like just not just sitting in front of a computer and doing meetings. We wanted to do something different. So, so that was the main reasons why we started doing our, uh, our meetings with the guys at night, not only for football, but we also had zoom meetings uh, for workouts as well with the guys again, just to make sure that they, they were in shape as much as possible. But, but I think the biggest thing was uh, we still had a chance to play football because youth sports had canceled. Uh, three of the four conferences canceled football completely, but right. you know, the RCQ decided to wait and see if we could have a season. So mm-hmm. there was still, uh, you know, some hope that we might have a chance to play, especially there early, uh, in, uh, during, the during COVID-19. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I mean, and like as athletes and student athletes, like 
sport is kind of your ex escape. So suddenly not having that, I bet it was very difficult for your students and your, your athletes. I mean, this kind of is a good segue into my next question. Like before you sports, you were, you were coaching at a professional level, you know, how different is it coaching professional athletes and then going to youth sports where, you know, they're not just athletes, they're student athletes as well. And the pressures are a little bit different on, on both ends. Like how, how is that transition and, and did you enjoy it? Um, I, I definitely have enjoyed it. Uh, the one thing I learned right away, no matter if it was professionally or at the college level, guys want to compete. They want to win. So that hunger was exciting to see. Uh, you know, the big difference at the professional level, of course, like this is what we do for a living um, in terms of this is how we get paid. So, you know, we're able to really demand uh, certain things uh, from the players. And if they weren't following up, whether it was on the field or off the field, we could address it. And, and of course, uh, if there's things that, that they weren't doing that, of course, we're able to to release them while at the university level, that's not the case. You know, when you bring somebody into your university, you got to mold them and, and make them, you know, come and, and get used to what the environment that you have at the university. But I think the biggest thing was just the, the really the, the amount of games, like in the CFL, you could play up to 23 games where here at the CIS level, of course, you're playing somewhere about, you know, 11, 12, if you go all the way to the Benier cup. So I learned right away that, uh, that as an offensive coordinator, um, we didn't have, well, I didn't have to bring a lot of the same, uh, multiple plays that we had in the CFL. Cause we have so many games. You have to show them so many different things where here at the CIS, it's less game. So you don't need all these concepts. Like, you know, we're okay with these concepts. So that took a little bit of an adjustment for me, but in terms of once the season started, I mean, the hours are the hours, the hours are long. The only difference that was a challenge for me was in the CFL, you know, as coaches, you're probably in the office around, you know, five o'clock, five thirty, and then you're home around six or six thirty. Uh, here at the CIS, it's like it's kind of. I was in the office by eight, but we didn't have the players until four thirty, and then we didn't get off the field to ten. So it was. It, it took some time for me to adjust because I came home, I was tired, but I was also hungry as well. So that was the only difference was just like adjusting my time frame with everything. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because I bet that was a big transition. And, and, you know, one of the questions that I was wondering is that, you know, your players, I think a lot of them looked up to you when you were playing with the Alouettes and whatnot. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing for some of these guys, maybe they don't show it, but it must have been a little nerve wracking to have Anthony Calvillo come in and be part of the coaching staff when you joined the coaching staff. So you know, how did you ensure that they were comfortable maybe knowing that maybe at the back of your mind, you're like, hmm, okay, I think some of these guys might be a little nervous because of who you are. Well, I think it was two things. One was what you just explained of, of who I was and, and what I did on the football field because they didn't know me. All they saw was this person on TV. Now uh, I was going to get a chance to spend a lot more time with them. And I, I think that's that's what happens when you spend more time with people, you get to know them, you get to understand them more. And, and through time, you know, that we were able to break that barrier. But the other thing was the language barrier, right? We're at a French university. Um, and, you know, so most of the kids know English, but I, I learned right away that some guys are very uncomfortable speaking mm -hmm. English, even though they know it. Like for myself, I'm practicing a lot of French. I could read a lot of French. I could understand it, but speaking it, I'm still very, hesitant mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even at home, I, I'm at home trying to practice with my family and, and they're always saying, what, what did you say? And it just gets me so fired up. I'm like, <laughs> listen, I'm trying to learn this thing and, and you guys are not understanding, but that's, that's more on me than anything else. But the main thing was I wasn't sure if it was a language barrier or was it just them being a little bit intimidated mm-hmm. by me. But I think over time I got to know the players, they got to know me. And then it was just a smooth transition from there. So, you know, for the most part, uh, they knew right away that uh, I'm just another human being just like them. And, and they got to know my personality as the season went along. I hadn't even considered the language barrier, to I know. be honest. But, like, I feel like coaching at, like, a collegiate level, I, I've, my only experience is as a player, but you build such a different relationship because you have, you know, that full four years, five years in youth sport. And – and you kind of grow up like your athletes grow up a lot during that time. So you get this close bond um, for yourself. You're also, you're the offensive coordinator and the QB coach. And, you know, I'm very new to football. Like how often do coaches share kind of many hats? Is that something specific to the Carabay or is um, a lot of coaches kind of wear two hats on, on a single team? Um, it, it depends on how large your coaching staff is. So at the CFL level, you pretty much have a coach for each position. Um, and then sometimes the head coach might have two different hats. They might be the head coach and the offensive coordinator or head coach and the defensive coordinator. Um, so it, it all depends on, on that particular team. So uh, all I know is the more hats you have, the better you are as, as, as a coach. Um, it definitely helps. But, uh, you know, we're very blessed here at the University of Montreal to have eight full-time coaches on staff, and that's not normal at the CIS level. Um, so we're able to have one coach pretty much for each position, and, and that's an advantage because uh, each, each team or each position gets a chance to hear specifically from a coach that knows the position and that can coach the position. So, uh, you, know, that's, you know, that's usually how it works, but it all depends on, on, on the particular team. So, so that's like a lot of coaching staff. How, how do you guys maintain communication? And does that mean you guys just have a lot of meetings personally as a coaching staff? Because like I'm used to hockey. It's like I've mm-hmm. mostly got like three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there is. Like, you know, the most important thing is all the coaches, we got to be speaking the same language. So we have a playbook. We review the playbook. And then we go through each concept and play. Uh, to make sure that uh, when we're coaching this, that we're all saying the same thing because we'll come together as an offense. So the entire offense will be together, but then we'll break up. So the offensive line coach will go into his room with the offensive lineman and he's coaching them specific or coaching them specifically. Same thing for the running backs and receivers. So the message that happens during our coaches, our staff meeting is very, very important because then the coaches are going to take it into their own personal meetings give the players the explanation and then we got to go on the field. And then once we go on the field, we have to, again, make sure that uh, we're all teaching the exact same thing. So there's a lot of time and effort that's made to make sure that, uh, that we show the players that one, we know what we're doing and two, that they could trust us. Um, And there are some mistakes here and there that come up and it goes back to communication, but for the most part, uh, it's so important that we do that. Has that been tougher now with, with COVID? I mean, do you need to have as many meetings in general, given that, you know, right now there's, there's no games? Um, so that's been our challenge. So, like, going into this season with the hope of having a season, we had new ideas that we wanted to try this year, some adjustments from last year's uh, offense that we had. So uh, during the summer, we were able to uh, train with the players on the field 
um, not in the team atmosphere, but in terms of the quarterbacks will be together, we'll have some receivers, and then we'll start working on particular routes mm-hmm. that, that we're, we're going to try that year or for this upcoming year. Um, so, yeah, so we, ha- we had those meetings uh, um, because we wanted to, you know, make sure that our players were ready if we had the football season. So whether it was in person at the SEPSUM or online, like, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody's doing now, uh, we, were always, we were always meeting. Okay. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, as a your experience as a quarterback on the very strong Seattle offense, especially with the Alouettes in the, the early 2000s up until, uh, you know, 2009, 2010, of course, when mm-hmm. you won those championships, also back in 2002. How does that experience translate into your work as an offensive coordinator at the youth sports level? I mean, are there any strategies that you've seen at the CFL level that you've like implemented at this level? I know you you mentioned earlier about the concepts you know, you don't need to, to, to bring in so many new concepts uh, given mm-hmm. the different realities. But I'm just curious to know if you can build on that a bit. So, so when I retired and got into coaching at the CS, uh, CFL level, um, I really had to make an adjustment because, you know, I had played for so many years and I just understood the game. And when the coach told me, okay, this is how you're going to read a play. This is how it's designed. I studied it and I went out there and performed it. So. But that was me after 20-something years of playing. I didn't do that in my first few years. Uh, you know, I didn't put in that extra time and effort. So I had to make sure, and I learned this from, from Jacques Chantelaine, uh, who coached, who was our head coach in Montreal mm-hmm. uh, my last year there. But, you know, he said, you know, you got you to gotta be able to see the game through your players' eyes. So I had to be able to see the, 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 the game through the quarterback's eyes. So if it was a young quarterback, I had to put myself in this situation what he what is he able to learn mm-hmm. you know he's not able to learn and understand the stuff that I learned in year 20 so I have to be a little bit more patient and maybe not ask him to do so much and then once you spend time with them then you get a un- and better understanding okay I could push him and ask a bit more of them but that's part of being a coach is understanding your players and see how you could push them so mm-hmm. when I came to the to the CIS level it was I already had the mentality okay I know what I asked of these professional quarterbacks. Now I know I can't ask these of these young men, but there's a certain level where I'm going to push them because I think they have a little bit more. So um, that was part part of the the biggest thing I had to learn when I went from from playing to coaching. And again, I don't care how long you played for, five years, twenty years, nothing prepares you to go on to coaching because there's so many other details that are involved in every single play. Like for me as a quarterback, when I played, um, you know, I, I didn't know the full protection, but I knew if I was protected, if I, if they told me, okay, on this look, you're going to be, you're going to be hot, which means there's an extra guy coming. You have to get rid of the ball. I knew that it was just, it was just locked in, in into my head. So I got to just make sure that I, I'm able to relay that same message to the young guys, but not asking too much where they're, where they're thinking and not playing. And that's the balance that every coach has. This plays super well into my next question because like football, when I look at it, it's like a very strategic game. Like it's a few sports where, you you know, there's a stoppage and then everyone sets up a certain way and then the play starts. But it's also very reactive in the sense that you probably have, I don't know, 10 seconds to do something. Maybe that's too long, especially like as a quarterback. So how do you kind of, coach that and and can you coach that or is it something that just innately comes through through repetition you know like hockey we say 
uh, hockey IQ. I'm sure football, you, you know, some people may, might see the game better than others, but like, how do you coach that? How do you coach them to be reactive? You know, the look might not be there every time. So here are your second options. Um, is this something you coach or you just practice? Well, we do, we do both. Right. So, so basically, you know, you, 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 you put the play on paper, you show the guys, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Uh, then we go on the field and we walk through it, explain to them uh, what we're trying to accomplish. Um, but like you said, once you get on the field, I mean, you might have the play drawn up on a piece of paper and you might have the defense lined up in a certain way. But when you get on that field, guys are moving around, you got noise. And what you expect to see, uh, the defense is doing something different. So, you know, we try to get our players prepared week in and week out by you know, trying to study the opponent. And, and I think that was the challenge here at this level is, you know, the kids are the kids, the young men are in school uh, all day and then they come to us right from class and then we are busy the entire time. So they don't, they don't have a whole lot of chance to watch a lot of film on the opponent. So we try to watch it together to explain to them, okay, guys, this is the defense that we're facing. These are the adjustments that we have to make and we have to be ready for all this stuff. But like you've said, you get on that field, sometimes stuff happens and you got to react. So what we try to do is, especially at the quarterback position, I'll go through, like last year, I went through the entire season uh, and, and, and looked at the mistakes that the quarterback made, uh, whether it was mentally or physically. And then I try to come up with drills to help them with that. And I think that's what coaches try to do. Okay, this is what happened. How can I help this young individual to improve on that? So that's where I get most of my drills from is from what happened during the game and then try to uh, try to do that in the off season. Cause you have a lot more time in the off season to work on that stuff. But you know, this game is, 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 is happening so fast and you have to adjust. That's yeah, really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Cause like most sports, like you said, you don't want to think anytime and anytime as an athlete, if you're thinking like you're not <laughs> playing the game, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, and I mean, Film is so important in football. I mean, most sports now, like uh, data is so important. In new sports, do you guys have access to a lot of film, like opponents field? Is something like, do you send someone to go video their <laughs> games or, or teams are willing to share videos? Uh, no, it, yeah, no, it's pretty much, it's pretty much the rules. So once, once you play a game, uh, then it's kind of put on a main server or a, another school will ask for the game. So, we have really? access. We have access to all the games uh, that our opponents play because that's what we watch, prepare to see what they're doing. I'm assuming it's no a rule. It, I'm assuming it's a rule because it's happen. It happens in the CFL and it happens up here. And then from there, and that's the thing because what happens is once, let's say we're playing Concordia, uh, let's say Concordia played McGill, so we would ask for that game, and then for us as an offense, we're going to break down their defense. So we're putting all this data in for each play. Okay, here's the defensive front. Mm -hmm. Here are the linebackers. Here's the DBs. These are the coverages. So, and that takes, that takes some time because you got to look at it, take your time. Okay, this is the coverage. And then, and then once you do that, then you, you break down another game. So you have like three games of Concordia's last opponent that they played, and then that's where you get your data. That's where you get your information. Okay, on first and ten, Based on the, the data that we inputted, it's telling us, okay, this is what they do on first and 10. Oh, this yeah. is what they do on second and media. And then we create our, our game plan based off of that information. So it, it, it's definitely a process. 
so much work. <laughs> oh, no, it's like I said, like, as a player, it was great because I would, you know, you would, let's say you played on a, on a Saturday and then you had like two days off and then you come in on Tuesday and then the coaches have the game plan ready. Yeah, but, you got the spark notes version as a player. But, <laughs> You're like, perfect. <laughs> but as a coach, you got you to gotta get that ready for them. So the coaches don't have any days off. Like, uh, we, are, we are busy all the time. The only the, the, the day off, the 24 hours that we have is basically day. <laughs> the day before the game because usually we're done. We're done. At, you know, we see the guys for maybe 45 minutes. And then, and then we had to show up for the next game. So you mentioned game day. Yeah, that's, that's our, our time off, those 24 hours right there. Well, you talk about how, like, that was a big transition from being a player and then going to be, becoming a coach and seeing how much work goes on. And that's where we kind of want to go right now in this conversation. It's, I want to bring it back to when you retired in 2013. And then you came back to the Montreal Alouettes in 2015, two years later, but this time part of the coaching staff. So first off, you know, did you always want to be a coach? Did, you know, did you take those two years off to kind of see what your options were? You know, can you take us back to that time and, and what that was like and why you ended up, uh, you know, coming back to the Owls, but just uh, in a different capacity? No, it's a great question because I, I always said I was never going to coach. And the reason being because of the hours and the commitment that's involved <laughs> so with knew. it. I just said, why am I ever going to do something like that? So, but as I got closer to the end of my career, I was like, okay, I, I got to figure out what I, what I want to do uh, after football. And I started thinking, what's my passion? What do I enjoy? And, and of course, it was still sports. It was still football. But it was, it was the X and O side of it. So it wasn't the business side of it. It wasn't going into the front office and putting on the suits and, and doing that. No, I, I wanted to be around the guy. So it was really my last couple of years of playing where my mindset started to switch. Like, okay. Uh, this is what I think I want to do in, in, in the future. So when I, when I retired, uh, I really took the year two, 2014 off um, just because I never in, <laughs> had a year off, uh, you know, in the last 20 years. And I wanted to enjoy a summer because, you know, mm -hmm. the football season always occurs during the summer. So, so we, we traveled. Um, I actually went back to, to school because I never graduated from university. Okay. So when I, when I inquired about my credits, uh, back at Utah State where I went, they were like, listen, your credits are still good. Um, all you need is 20 credits to, to graduate with a general studies bachelor's degree. And I'm like, sold. So I took like <laughs> eight classes online. Good I for you. Yeah, congrats. No, it was, it was awesome. I actually, even so when I graduated, I actually even took my family back to Utah State and went on stage. And I wanted them to see me graduate and I wanted them to to see where I went to university. So at that time, my, my girls, uh, they must've been, I don't know, they're, they're 15 and 13 now. So they must've been somewhere like 10 and eight, but, uh, but that, you know, we, we had a great time that year. Uh, and then I, but I wanted to stay in the city to me. It was important for me to stay in the city. And I had this, of course, this great relationship with the Alouette. So to me, it was a, it was a smooth transition to get back into, into the coaching staff there. So when you went back, did you still have teammates of yours on that 2015 team at that point? Or oh, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. still there was still a few, without a doubt. Yeah, okay, that's... so was that weird? Like, you know, you were their teammate, and now you're their coach. Was that like a, an odd transition, or, you know, was it actually pretty seamless? Well, I think when I was still playing, I think people treated me like a coach. Um, you know, and again, I played up until I was 40, and I was playing with guys that were, you know, 22, 23, 24. And, and half the time, those young guys, whenever 
whenever I would, you know, come into the locker room or come into the area, it went from them talking and then all of a sudden they're quiet because I came by and, uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And then, but the biggest thing is when I, when I did become a coach, um, you know, I didn't spend much time in the locker room anymore, you know, cause you know, the locker room is where, you know, the players were at and we did mingle in there sometimes, but you know, most of the time was spent in the office. So, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't a huge weird uh, transition cause you see a lot of ex players that go from playing the coaching on the same team and then coaching the same, you know, the same guys they play with. So it wasn't a huge big deal. Okay. Well, that's good at least. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Just you sat at the front of the bus now instead of at the back <laughs> on road trips. <laughs> you you got that right. I always had my same seat when I played. It was it was the same seat no matter what. But as you as you know, as a coach, you're you're in the front. The you're first the front. Close. You can't have fun in the back. <laughs> no, no, it's all over. So during your two years at the Alouettes, you kind of changed roles a lot. Um, was that a welcome change? Is it something you liked, or would you have rather like stuck with one? I mean, I know. Earlier you said it, you know, the more positions you have, like, the better it is because you get to see kind of everything. Did you like that change? Was it good for just your learning since you were new? Or would you have kind of liked to focus on, on one coaching position? Um, well, I think as a young coach, I mean, I knew the quarterback position. So, for me, that was going to be the natural position to go in. But when I started, uh, the only position that was available was a receiver coach. Yeah. And I was a bit nervous about that. But uh, I had uh, – uh, Andre Bolduc, who was also on the staff, helping me out, who was also an ex-receiver and, a, and an ex-teammate of mine. So that really, that really helped my transition, and it got me to kind of understand and learn uh, a new perspective uh, of just trying to coach receivers. And then that particular year, which was crazy, because I went from receiver coach to quarterback coach to co-offensive coordinator, all in one year, just because of the decisions that were being made. So there's a lot of information. That was that was kind of thrown not only on my plate but the other coaches' plate, and it was it was hard. Like I said, even though I played for twenty years, uh, being put into that situation, there's a lot of stuff that I just did not know uh, when I look back at it now. So it was it was it was a big transition, and then of course the following year, um, I hired a couple of guys because now I was the official offensive coordinator. But I felt that I needed some 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 uh, like a veteran coach that that knew how to be an offensive coordinator. And mm-hmm. I, we convinced Jacques Champlain to come and, and join us. And, and I mentioned him earlier, and, and he was a big part of my growth and development of just trying to understand uh, all the small details that's necessary to have a complete offense. Yeah, those were a couple of tumultuous years. I remember just being on the other side of like reading the stories coming out. I was like, okay, there seems to be a lot going on with the Alouettes at that time. Um, how has your experience as a CFL quarterback, as a leader, informed your style of coaching over the years? Well, that's just it, right? So, you know, for me, you know, I've been, uh, like I mentioned, quarterback coach, receiver coach, off of the mm-hmm. coordinator. Um, and the one thing I learned is, you know, I'm trying to be myself, um, even though I learned from great coaches like uh, Don Matthews, Mark Trestman, just to, just to name a few. And they all had their own little way of, of kind of commanding the room. Mm-hmm. But they were head coaches. When you're a head coach, you set the tone for the entire organization. And I'm, I have not gotten to that point yet where I'm like, OK, I'm the head coach. This is how I want things mm-hmm. to be, uh, how, how I want things run. But that hasn't been the case right now. So for me, what I've learned is try to be as honest as you can with the players. I mean, 
if you, when you BS them, they're going to know and you're, yeah. they're going to lose your respect. So uh, you got to be upfront with them. And sometimes you got to tell them, okay, this is what we're expecting you to do. You're not doing it. Uh, and if you continue not to do it, then we're going to have to give somebody else another chance. And I think that's, that's the hard part when it, when it comes to, to people that you played with, because mm -hmm. you got to tell these guys, okay, yeah, we're friends and we were teammates, but you know, you're, you're not meeting the standard that we think that you should be. So either you got to you know, do better or we got to help you get better or we're going to have to give somebody another chance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me is try to be as honest as, as possible. Uh, but at the same time, you got to be consistent as a coach. That's the one thing I've learned is, is if you have a message and you want a certain thing to happen, you got to be consistent with that because if you're not, uh, it's not, it's not going to just happen overnight. Yeah. And I, I think any human just appreciates transparency, mm -hmm. and especially athletes. Like we all want to succeed and become better. So if you're just mm -hmm. up front with what needs to be improved, you know, we could swallow it, be upset for like a day and then the next, you know, next practice move on. Mm -hmm. So after your stint with the Alouettes, um, you moved to the Toronto Argonauts and you got to rejoin with uh, your former coach, Matt Tris Tris Trisman and general yep. manager Jim Pop. So how is it rejoining with them, but under different circumstances? Now you guys are kind of working as a team on the same side of, of uh, the coaching staff. How was that? Yeah, so that whole transition, like after my time with the Alouettes, like I was, I was mentally exhausted. Like, like when you mentioned, you guys saw it from one side. Well, being in it was exhausted mentally. And, and for me, it, it just, it affected my soul. It affected who I was. And I didn't, I didn't like how that, that made me feel. So I was really not going to coach that year in 2018. I said, no, you know, I, I don't like where this is going right now. Uh, I, I'm just going to take a break. So that was my plan. And then all of a sudden I get a call from Mark Trespin informing me that they have an opening on their staff. Uh, would I be, would I consider it? Um, and, um, and I had to think about it for a while uh, because we, Again, our family, we like to travel a lot. So we had had this beautiful European trip set up uh, for that particular summer because, like, I knew that I was going to take the year off. I knew I was going to have the summer off. And then I was like, man, if I take this job, I'm like, Mark, I got, I just spent all this money on this trip with my family. <laughs> and uh, yeah. are you, are you going to let me leave during the bye week? And uh, anyways, there was a lot of things that were going on. But I'd ask, but at the end of the day, I decided to go and learn from a mentor because that's who Mark was. Like a lot of the stuff that I do now in terms of the, the playbook that I use, uh, my, my mannerisms as a coach, I picked up from him and I thought, okay, well, I, he, he coached me as a player, but what is it to be in those rooms when we're preparing for, uh, for the next opponent? And that's what I wanted to see. So to me, it was an opportunity that I, I just could not afford to miss. And, you know, it was the first time that I actually had a, you know, leave my family because we didn't move there. I mean, I rented an apartment there, but the family was still here. Summer was great because they came up, but mm -hmm. it was the first time that I was away from my family. And in the CFL, 75% of the players and coaches uh, have to deal with that, where mm -hmm. they come into the city and they play, but their families are somewhere else. So I remember the players and coaches talking about that, but now I was experience in that for the first time but I love the experience of going to learn but not only Mark Trestman from but from Jim Pop as well they're in a new organization yeah it must have been a nice uh, reunion but definitely tough to be far from your family for the first time before we conclude this interview um, I wanted to ask you a question about the CFL 
Because mm-hmm. as we know, because of the pandemic, a lot of sports leagues uh, all around the world have been affected by this. But the CFL, of course, didn't, wasn't able to have a season, didn't even go for the bubble, I think, for financial reasons, likely. Um, and now a lot of people are wondering, you know, what's going to happen to the league, uh, mm-hmm. especially since they weren't able to have the season. Therefore, they didn't have any generate any revenue and whatnot. So I'm curious to get what your thoughts are as a former player, as a former coach in the CFL. You know, how do you view this? this situation are you in touch with anyone still uh, at that level um well i still got people friends that that, yeah. that uh, not really play them anymore but more who are either coaching or in, in a general manager role so mm-hmm. um you know but for the most part like to be honest with you when i when i'm coaching here like i'm so focused here like when i come home i try to spend time with my family and my girls so i don't watch a whole lot of sports Mm-hmm. But the fact that we didn't play this year, oh my goodness, I watched so much <laughs> so much NFL right now in college football. It's been insane. But uh it, 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 it was game later today. <laughs> I know, I know. We'll we'll check that out later on as well. But uh <laughs> but you know, but it's just like you, you, you feel for, for everybody, um, you know, from from the fans to the sponsorship to the, the coaches, the players and you know, and it's 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 the finances, right? So I mean we all wanna make a living for our families and and poof and put food on the table and roof over our head and uh and it and it's a challenge so I, I definitely feel for every single person out there that's that's dealing with this um uh, you know specifically right now we're talking about the people in the cfl no for sure i mean i'm also curious to to get your opinion i mean there seems to also be a strained relationship i think between the players and the ownership uh, uh from what i gathered because like mal i mean i i don't really watch that mm-hmm. much CFL football, um, more NFL uh, in the last couple of years, but it seems that there's a discord because I believe that there was supposed to be a, like a bubble, um, and they were they were uh, negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement, mm-hmm. and then I believe the owners kind of took a snap decision to just cancel the season altogether. So mm-hmm. you know, when you were a player, you know, did you feel that there was this disconnect uh, between? The players, because I know that there are PAs, player representatives, um, you know, who you regularly communicate with the owners and, and whatnot. But, you know, is this something that's just new and, and kind of, you know, more for the situation, given how how complicated it is with the pandemic? Or has there always been kind of this? Uh, well, I definitely think this situation is definitely unique. But during my, you know, 20 years of playing in, in the Canadian Football League, um, I've seen the CFLPA grow uh, with a with a great relationship uh, with the league any owners. It always gets a little tense when the collective bargain agreement comes up of uh, every so often because, you know, everybody's trying to get a big uh, a piece of the pie uh, and trying to get the best deal for themselves. So I think over the years, things have been great. Uh, but in this particular year, again, with me being away and, and only reading and seeing articles of what's going on, I'm sure it was very challenging, um, you know, the fact that they had to try to renegotiate some type of collective bargain agreement to go into this bubble that they were trying to to, to put together and and trying to come up with a salary for the six games that they were going to have. So I'm sure it was a very uh, stressful time for all those involved. But, uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, the owners and general managers are going to make the best decision that's that's best for the entire league and seeing this big picture and, 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 and sometimes as a fan looking from the outside in, maybe we, we don't have all that information and we, we try to make opinions based on what we, sure. we know and don't know, but that's, that's sports. That's how it is. But, uh, 
you know, for me, I, I, I just, I'm just hoping that they do uh, come back next year. I know I read some articles today about, about, uh, you know, some, some coaches, general managers want to, want to know the plan for 2021. Like, are we having this season? Like, this is the start. This is what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's, it's challenging because we're still in the heart of this pandemic with no vaccine yet as well. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you have like a lot of these moral challenges too. I mean, hopefully they are getting maybe something in the works. I feel like everything was such short notice. Like it just came and hit us like a wave. We didn't know what, what to expect. So I'm pretty sure the league was on a time crunch and the players were on a time crunch to make a call and they just made a call. So hopefully now as we're kind of riding this out, they just have more time to maybe prepare something that would be functional, but while maintaining uh, safety and pleasing both sides, um, we'll see what happens. But so all we can do is wait and see what happens with that. I know like I said, there's so yeah. much uncertainty in life and I feel for, for you and your, your athletes too. School must be terrible online, to be honest, and then not having sport <laughs> as an outlet. But I guess ending on on some some pleasant notes. Um, since the start of your coaching career, like, what do you enjoy most about it? Um, obviously, it's different than a player, but what do you really like about it? Um, really trying to uh, trying to pass on the knowledge that I acquired over the years, um, and and not getting too frustrated when when they don't understand it. Um, it's really allowed me to take a step back and really think about, you know, really what comes out of my mouth, right? And 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 making sure that it, that they understand it correctly. And it's no different with here at my girls at home. I got two girls, fifteen and thirteen, and and sometimes there I know, right? And sometimes they're kind of like, "Daddy, what you say? What do you mean?" And and I got to be a little patient. I'm like, "Well, in my head, it's very clear what I said, mm -hmm, but yeah. to them, it's not." So that's part of that process of just of just being a good communicator. And and at the end of the day, trying to not only be a good coach, but be a good mentor and, and giving people advice, not just in football, but in life in general. I mean, mm -hmm. I had great coaches that helped me from high school to my university. Even when I was a professional athlete, I still reach out to certain coaches who I feel who are my mentors. And I'm hoping I could build a relationship with players like that where they could come back and be like, you know what, you you helped me make this decision based on the on the input that you gave me. So it's about just, you know, giving them input and trying to uh, make them better people in society. I know it's a corny answer, but that's the honest truth. I, I mean, I feel that, I've, like, I still talk to my college coaches and mm -hmm. some of my fondest memories are, are not my time on the ice. I mean, I, I have some great memories, but I had, like, small conversations that feel really impacted who I've become as a woman. And like, That's right. Uh, some of, I don't know, just, like, the, the things I'm passionate about that's not just sports-related. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, I'm really glad that, that you see that because you do play a really important role in, in these mm. gentlemen's lives. For sure. Well, Mel, I mean, it's funny because you talk about your memories as a player, and that's what I wanted to ask you, Anthony. I mean, after all this time, you know, looking back at your playing career, there's, you know, you've broken records, you've won championships. But, you know, what are some of the memories that you cherish the most? Um, well, I, I think it's, it's, it goes back to, you know, some of the championships that we won, especially the first one. Um, I always talk to the guys about the parade that the city had for us in 2002, just going down St. Catherine street. I mean, uh, it was a blast and then followed up in 2009, 2010. So those really stand out just because, um, you know, even though like, you know, the players, the Alouettes won it, but the city won it. So now when I rock around the city, people, 
asked me in, uh, about, they really asked not only about sports, about, about my, my health, my wife's health, how we're doing. And then they talk about the great memories that we shared together. And, and that's what's awesome. And, and, you know, my girls were young when I played. So this past year, the CFL, they were rebroadcasting certain games and, and we sat down and watched them. And I'm like, yeah, the daddy was actually an athlete back in the day. So <laughs> I can't move around a lot right now, but, uh, but look what daddy was able to do. So Check out this bomb I'm about to toss. <laughs> that's right. So from that aspect, it, it, it's great, you know, to share some of those memories with my, with my girls. But the biggest thing is it just walking around the city and, and hearing people talk about uh, the impact the Alouettes had on them uh, and the memories we all shared together. That's awesome. I mean, that was going to be my next question. What was your favorite championship? But now we know. <laughs> first one, always the first one. Always the first one. I guess like moving on, like what, what's your ultimate goal? Do you have aspirations to continue to coach in Canada? Any dreams of going to the NFL or do you want to continue in collegiate sports? Uh, my main objective is to stay in the city. Uh, my girls already said if I get a job somewhere else, they're not leaving. They're going to stay here. <laughs> so that's that's already established. So and I love Montreal. I mean, we this is this is home. I've actually city. I've actually lived here longer in in Montreal than any other place, and I grew up in California. So uh, this is it. Uh, you know, my goal is to be here uh, and and coaching here in the city. Well, Anthony, we want you to stay in Montreal. Everyone loves you here. I mean, I have memories. I And again, I wasn't really that into the CFL or football when I was younger, more so now mm -hmm. than I was younger. But my fondest memories, if any, were of you, of Ben Cahoon, of right. that, that edition of the, of the Alouettes and just the vibe that the city had uh, when the team was in the playoffs, winning those championships. So, you know, we are just very grateful that, A, you played for the Alouettes for so long that you're still here, that, you know, the city is going to continue to embrace you. So... Thank you so much for doing this. We really No, no problem. It. Thanks for that for that feedback too. I appreciate it. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Balado Quebec. Honestly, we got some of the best ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we'd love to hear from all of you. So please, please leave us one. Uh, show us some love as well, you know, on Facebook on Instagram at Away From The Play and on Twitter as well at Mel underscore and underscore Saps. You could also follow us individually on Twitter. I'm not that active, but I should really change that. <laughs> but you can follow You can I follow it. I know, verified, but <laughs> the, the numbers aren't there. But you can follow Saps at Saps underscore on the go and you could follow, my, follow myself at Mel The Rock. I should really get on that check mark thing, but it seems very complicated <laughs> to even try to get one. <laughs> Special thanks to Mathieu Brutus for the music. And of course, as always, Naima Lou, she designed our old logo. She designed our new logo. So please give them a follow on Instagram. They are incredible talents. And we hope to see you next week. 